It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everyone, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. And welcome into the show, everyone. We've got a great one for you today here on this Friday, February 12th, as we look to preview UFC 258 Usman vs. Burns, which will take place tomorrow on Saturday, February 13th at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. And it's great to be back with you guys here. Uh, always fun to do these preview shows. And, uh, you know, should be a fun weekend. Should be a very fun weekend. Uh, you know, good to be back into the swing of things here with the UFC. Uh, good to be back into the swing of things with the uh, the main card showdown, which really, in a way, is synonymous, you know, with the UFC. Uh, although not officially uh, affiliated with the UFC. So don't, don't anybody get the wrong ideas. But, uh, yeah, we have uh, potentially breaking news developing. Uh, we are in the works uh, of signing, uh, well, not technically signing, semantics, uh, signing our biggest free agent in main card showdown history. And I'm not going to reveal who it is just yet, but it would be massive. It would be very big. And they could potentially compete uh, tomorrow. So they could make their debut. We're already lining up. Uh, potential opponents for this man, a legend. Uh, he is he is from Minnesota, and he is from my hometown. But he's an absolute legend, uh, really a fan favorite. And I think I think main card showdown fans are really gonna like this one. And that's that's about all I have to say on that one. Other than that, like we said on the on the last show, you know the the, the title fight is gonna be me and Drew, and then. The rest, I have no idea. I mean, I don't know. I assume that, you know, I assume we won't have Jordan. I assume we won't have Bree. I assume we won't have, you know, Pip. I, I you know, I just assume we won't have any of these people. So uh, we'll just keep well, moving forward. We'll just we'll just assume that you know people aren't doing this. So that's fine. We have ample replacements. There's no shortage of replacements. Um, but with that, I, th- I believe that's all the housekeeping I have to get to here, so we can get right into the preview, and we will start here uh, with the prelim opener, which is going to be a women's flyweight bout between Jillian Robertson and Miranda Maverick. Uh, Robertson nine and five, Maverick eight and two. Uh, we'll take a look here at the odds. They will have Maverick as the minus one forty three favorite don't know where those odds come from they they come from the ufc's website so you know I, I have no fucking clue where those odds come from but you know these are the odds that people tell me and uh yeah this should be a, a pretty interesting fight actually a, a pretty interesting uh prelim opener because a lot of the times you know they're, they're just dog shit but um let's see what i have i know i have a fair amount in my old notebook the trusty north star Sport, sports uh notebook on uh, Jillian Robertson. I'm also going to check out the rankings here because I believe we still have Jillian Robertson ranked. Uh, not very high, though, but I believe she's still in the rankings. Uh, yep, so she is at number 13. So this is a pretty big fight for both of them. You know, Robertson has suffered some losses here recently. Going to have to get on track. Uh, you know, the flyweight division by far is the best division uh, on the female side of thing side of things. And uh, it's increasingly getting deeper and deeper because we have so many straw weights moving up to 125. You know, Robertson really has to, you know, put the pedal to the metal here and start, you know, stringing together some victories. Obviously, a very talented fighter. And then for Maverick, I mean, you could kind of burst your way into the rankings uh, with a win here. I, I don't know. Well, we can see what the UFC's dog shit rankings are. Uh, because I'm actually kind of curious to see where they would have Robertson ranked. Because I know particularly with the female rankings, we have a lot of disagreement, generally. Uh, with with the male rankings, not as much. I'm, 
I wouldn't say in lockstep with the UFC, but a lot of the times it's it's fairly similar. But the female ones, like, they're whack. Like, they have Montana De La Rosa, as of, like, a couple of months ago, ranked at, like, number 10 or some shit. And, like, we, we don't even have her ranked. Um, yeah, they don't, they don't even have Jillian Robertson ranked at 125. But they have, like... Alexis Davis ranked at 12, who hasn't won since the fucking bicentennial. Uh, they, they have Antonina Shevchenko ranked. Like, their rankings are just fucking whack. They, they don't make any sense. Um, so, yeah, pretty significant disagreement there on Jillian Robertson. But, uh, yeah, this will be a ve- this is very interesting, and this kind of reminds me of uh, Macy Barber versus Jillian Robertson, where... You know, it's just two very talented fighters. A lot of people tell me that, you know, these two fighters are the future of the division, in a sense. Maybe not, like, the sole future of the division, but, you know, the future is then, hey, these are going to be two fighters that are going to stick around for a long time. And uh, r- really bad matchup for uh, Jillian Robertson because Maverick, you know, this highly touted prospect, uh, she won in her debut uh, fought over in uh, Invicta, which always is a good uh, breeding ground uh, for for UFC fighters. I mean, anytime you see a female fighter who comes over from uh, Invicta, you just know that uh, they're they're probably ready to come over and and you know make a splash uh, because it's a very respectable uh, organization. But she's also a grappler too, so you know that's kind of Jillian Robertson's whole thing. So I am not a simp. I'm not a simp because we don't stand simps here at North Star Sports. I, I am a stan of Jillian Robertson, but uh, yeah, this is a fucking terrible matchup for her. Uh, I am going to go Miranda Maverick. Uh, she's not going to have the, the well, I don't want to say high-level experience, but the, as much UFC experience as Robertson, who I, I think at one point she had the most wins in, in 125 history, and obviously it's a very, very, very short history uh, of the flyweight division. But, yeah, man, it just fucking sucks. I mean, her striking needs to improve, like, leaps and bounds and, like, really, really quick. I mean, you know, I, I probably would still give Robertson the advantage on the ground, maybe, but she just got outgrappled by Talia Santos. So, I don't know. I like it. She's got a good motor. She's really good on the ground, but it's just, I don't know. She's going to get picked apart on the feet. And then if it does go to the ground, you know, I don't know, like, I, I could really see Miranda Maverick just, like, going balls to the wall with the striking and, and, you know, not paying respect to Robertson on the feet because, you know, if Robertson shoots for a takedown while while Maverick is striking, I think she'd just probably go, oh, okay, well, I'm also good on the ground as well. So, all right. So, yeah. But, but again, it wouldn't shock me if Robertson won. Obviously a very talented fighter. It, this will be a very good fight, but uh, I'm going to have to go Maverick on this one. All right, moving on here to a welterweight prelim fight between Gabe Green and Philip Rowe. Uh, Green is nine and three. Rowe is seven and two. Uh, we'll take a look here at the odds. They're going to have Gabe Green as the minus one thirty favorite. Uh, interesting fight. Uh, Philip Rowe. This was the guy who was coming off of the Contender Series, and he he's actually been signed to the UFC for. At this point, not quite two years, but it's been a long time we've been waiting for the, the debut of Philip Rowe. Now, I, I don't know if it was injuries or what exactly was going on, but it has been a long time since we have seen Philip Rowe uh, step into an octagon. He actually beat uh, Edmund Shabazian's y- older brother, Leon Shabazian. I think it's his older brother. Uh, 25. Yeah, older brother. Who was six foot four at welterweight? Uh, he uh, knocked him out in uh, round three on the contender series, and uh, okay, yeah, not quite two years, uh, about a year and a half. Uh, and, and he's had a handful of canceled bouts. Uh, interesting guy. I remember being uh, pretty impressed by his performance against Shabazian. You know, six three, so he's going to have a pretty uh, sizable height advantage here over uh, Gabe Green. But Gabe Green was the guy who uh, went the distance with. Uh, Daniel Rodriguez and I was really impressed with the strikes that Gabe Green was able to take took a lot of heavy left-hand shots from Daniel Rodriguez and uh, he's this is a pretty tough debut for Philip Rowe uh, 
I, I am going to go with Gabe Green on this one. Uh, you'll, you'll look at the stats, and it's just everything Everything physically is going to be uh, an advantage for Philip Rowe, but uh, Gabe Green is a dog, and, and Daniel Rodriguez probably would have won Rookie of the Year last year if he hadn't lost to Nicholas Dalby, which is not exactly his fault because I thought he beat Dalby. I thought it was a terrible judge's decision, but uh, Gabe Green... I don't know, man. You're 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 gonna have to knock his lights out to to beat him, and you know he was on a pretty impressive winning streak before that. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm riding with Gabe Green on this one. All right, we're moving on here to uh, the early prelim headliner, and it's going to be a featherweight bout between Ricky Simone and Brian Kelleher. Uh, this is a pretty underrated fight. I'm excited for this one. Uh, Simone is 17 and three. Kelleher 22 and 11. Uh, we'll take a look here at the uh, odds. Uh, God, like I always say, never, never get an HP. I, I don't care. I don't care if I lose out on a $10,000 endorsement from HP. I, I would just write it off. Like, fucking cannot stand HP. Uh, the odds are fucking whack on this one so this is this is how you can tell it's gonna be a great fight i've never heard of opening i don't know if it's the opening or just opening apparently it's a sports betting site uh and this is why i love odds shark and they don't pay me shit but you know what you got to shout out the real ones you know mma decisions tapology odds shark you know these are the real ones you know what i mean if i ever got an endorsement from them you would know that it's legit because i've been talking them up for years at this point and um, so I've never heard of the opening, but they have Brian Kelleher as the minus 250 favorite. Now, Betway has Ricky Simone as the minus 250 favorite. So that's a rather large discrepancy. Uh, now, in fairness, I've never really heard of Betway either. I mean, I don't I don't know. And, and again, you know, it's not like these MMA betting sites are God. So it's not God setting the fucking odds at minus 250. Obviously, you know, I'm sure they have expert sports betters or however the fuck analytics however they want to do it and then obviously the money line is influenced by people who you know bet one way or the other you know if a lot of money starts coming coming in on on ricky simone as the underdog well now it's going to get closer to even money you know so i understand you know there's there's many different factors to this it's not just exactly what you think is going to happen it's it's influenced by the people but the fact that there's a 500 point difference from one site to another uh you know kind of pivoting on on even money that's that's pretty fascinating and this this is a good one because really it's it's you know a young talented guy and ricky simone who you know kind of has had some setbacks but we know is a is a talented guy we know he's a good fighter versus you know the savvy veteran brian keller who, who's you know kind of winning two losing one but still kind of slowly but surely working his way up um I don't know how fighting at 145 will impact either of these guys. I don't know if Ricky Simone has ever fought at 145, if I'm being honest. I believe Brian Kelleher's last fight was at 145 because uh, he's been pretty active over this COVID time. So, you know, perhaps we're in for an even better fight because of the fact this is not at 135, it's at 145. So these guys aren't having to deplete themselves. Honestly, I would... I would probably bet that they probably only cut five to ten pounds for this fight. Like, I'm sure their walk-around weight is not, you know, 165 or something. So, yeah, I think we're going to get a pretty good three-round fight here uh, between these two guys. Uh, yeah, Ricky Simone. Now, who did he fight last? I'm trying to, was it Marab? Oh, no, it was, it was Gaetano Perillo. So, he, so, Ricky Simone actually fought less than a month ago. That's right. I totally forgot about that because his, his opponent was just a, a complete nobody. Um, but yeah, he's, he's had a couple of losses. He lost to Uriah Faber in Faber's return fight uh, in Sacramento, and then he lost to Rob Font. Now, Rob Font is currently our number four bantamweight, so that, that loss is looking even better as time goes on. Uh, Brian Kelleher, uh, he, now he, he had a really quick win over Ode Osborne, who just had a super quick knockout over Jerome Rivera last week. Uh, he also has a, a win over uh, Ray Rodriguez and Hunter Azure over the last uh, year. Lost to Cody Stamen at UFC 250. Um, this is tough. I, I'm going to go with Ricky Simone on this one, though. I just I think Ricky Simone, 
Uh, he, he's younger. There's more room for growth. I think we've kind of seen him do it against better fighters anyway. Um, although, kind of underrated both of these guys' resume. Uh, their, their resume is, is underrated is, is probably what proper English would have to say about that. But um, So, you know, I, I think it'll be a, a solid fight. Uh, wouldn't shock me if there was some wrestling thrown in there from Ricky Simone. Um, but, yeah, it probably goes to a decision, and, you know, I'll say Ricky Simone wins this one. All right, moving on here to a prelim catchweight of 140 pounds between Andre Ewell and Chris Gutierrez. Uh, Ewell is 17-6, and six, Gutierrez 15-3-2. and two. Uh, We'll take a look at the odds shark odds. They will have... Uh, Chris Gutierrez as the minus 170 favorite, according to opening. Um, yeah, this, this is an interesting fight. I, I'm definitely going to favor uh, Gutierrez in this one. Uh, Andre Ewell is an interesting guy. He's an interesting guy. His resume is very interesting as well when you look at it because uh, he has a, he does have a win over uh, Henan Barrow, which is fascinating. Obviously, Henan Barrow fell off of the biggest cliff possible uh, after 2014, I guess. Um, and then he, he has a split decision win over Jonathan Martinez, which is the craziest fucking decision I've ever seen. He got his ass beat, his arm broke. So as far as I'm concerned, he lost that fight to Jonathan Martinez. Really, as far as everybody with a brain is concerned, Andre Ewell lost that fight uh, and then came back and won a split decision over Irwin Rivera. Irwin Rivera, the guy who, uh, I don't want to speak out of turn, but just Google Irwin Rivera UFC and, and see what pops up. A very interesting guy, to say the least. Uh, that's probably a very charitable interpretation of uh, Irwin Rivera. I, I, the feds are very interested in Irwin Rivera <laughs> right about now. So, yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, and, and Gutierrez, this, this was a guy who in his UFC debut now who was it against uh Vince Morales okay not his debut oh his third fight in the UFC never mind I was just fucking way off but um against Vince Morales he had the seventh UFC leg kick knockout ever like leg kick KO uh so he just kind of fucking he really beat up Vince Morales to the legs this guy's a very good kickboxer went to a draw against Cody Durden uh, in August of last year. And, and, and that was a very interesting one, too, because I'm trying to remember how it went. The first round was a 10-8. And I want to say it was a 10-8 for Durden because Durden just came out of nowhere, put a 10-8 on Gutierrez, and then Gutierrez won rounds two and rounds three. And then it went to a draw. Very close fight. Obviously, the, the majority of it, Gutierrez won. But, you know, when you get 10 8 it's not enough just to fucking win the next two rounds if you want to win. So, you know, that was an interesting performance. I think he beats Ewell. I think Ewell's kind of a bottom a bottom feeder uh, in the UFC. Uh, you know, there's, there's a decent amount of tape here on, on both fighters uh, because they have been in the UFC for, you know, a couple of years, handful of years uh, in Ewell's case. But, you know, I'm, I'm just going to have to go with uh, Gutierrez. Um there's going to be <laughs> a very severe, a very severe reach advantage for Andre Ewell uh, because he is 5'11". Uh, now, obviously, this is taking place at uh, a catchweight of 140. Uh, and, and Gutierrez is 5'9", so height's not going to be that big of a deal. But Andre Ewell will have a 76-inch reach compared to Gutierrez, who has T-Rex arms, at uh, 67 inches. So, uh yeah, that's going to be significant, but, you know, it would help a little bit more if Andre Ewell was a good fighter with long arms. When you're kind of just a middling fighter with long arms, then okay, good for you, good for you. Um, yeah, Gutierrez, and you know what, fuck it, I'll go Gutierrez by third round TKO. I say, I say he finishes Andre Ewell. All right, moving on here on the prelims. Uh, a strawweight fight between Pollyanna Viana and Mallory Martin. Viana is 11 and 4. Martin is 7 and 3. Uh, we'll take a look at the odds here. They'll have Mallory Martin as the minus 125 favorite, and I think that's fair. Uh, I'm going to lean towards Mallory Martin winning this one. 
Uh, although I have been screwed on picking unestablished female fighters before. Uh, very hard to, to, to figure out what's going on. Uh, so, you know, either fighter could win this one, obviously, but I just feel like I should say that because I have not had a good track record of picking non-ranked female fights because you never know what you're going to get. You might feel very confident that one fighter is going to win and uh, just just doesn't quite work out that way. Now, Viana's going to have a four-inch reach advantage. Martin has some of the shortest arms I've ever seen for a, a female at 63 inches. That's uh, pretty, pretty small. But um, she does have a pretty impressive pedigree. So she was an amateur for six fights. Um, so someone who's been in the game since 2014. And then someone who has fought in Invicta and LFA, really the two best organizations that the UFC has to pull from for female uh, fighters. Now, she's been in the UFC for two fights. She got choked out by Verna Jandaroba, uh, who looks like Rob Schneider, and then choked out Hannah Cyphers. So we don't really know where she lines up in the grand scheme of things. Jandaroba is obviously ranked, so that's a quote-unquote good loss. And Hannah Cyphers is probably the worst female fighter we've ever seen. Um, so at least she beat her. That I would have a completely different opinion of Mallory Martin if she lost to Hannah Cyphers. And then Viana, I think that was the person who beat the shit out of someone who broke into her house. I think that's Pollyanna Viana. Uh, she's 28. Now, uh, she started off her UFC tenure with a victory over Maya Stevenson, who is a very, very interesting fighter. That was someone who... I don't, I don't know if it's true now. It definitely was true like a year ago where she was... A lot of people think she was the worst UFC fighter of all time. She had a record of 6-5. and five. I think she was like 0-4 in the UFC or something. And then it was something crazy. Like all six of her wins came against fighters who did not have a win. So like the combined record of her... Of her opponent... The combined opponent's record for her six wins was something like zero and 40. Uh, so just like a completely fabricated fighter. Uh, so she starts off with a win over Maya Stevenson, loses three fights in a row to JJ Aldrich, Hannah Cyphers, and Veronica Maceda, and then beats Emily Whitmire. Okay, she lost to Hannah Cyphers, so I'm automatically picking Mallory Martin. Anybody who loses to Hannah Cyphers, I'm automatically picking their opponent regardless of the betting odds, regardless of anything. You know what? That's my lock of the week. That is the mailman's lock of the week, Mallory Martin. Because if if you lose to Hannah Cyphers, you are blackmarked for life in this game. So Mallory Martin's going to win this one, probably by first-round KO. I, I just... Man, that changes everything. I didn't realize that. Yeah, Mallory Martin's going to win this one. All right, we're moving on. Still on the prelims. Uh, fairly big card here. We have a... Uh, welterweight bout between Diego Lima and Bilal Muhammad. Diego Lima is 15 and 7. Bilal Muhammad 17 and 3. Uh, we'll take a look at the odds here. They're going to have Muhammad as a pretty big favorite, uh, minus 350 according to the opening, which is very charitable because uh, Caesar's Palace has it as uh, minus 410. Uh, I've never heard of this one. IO bet, I guess. 10 bet. I don't fucking know. Some Jamooks have it as a, uh, a minus 550, so people are, are pretty confident that Bilal Muhammad's going to win this one. I'm very confident Bilal Muhammad's going to win this one as well. I don't really know what the UFC's doing, uh, putting Muhammad against Diego Lima. Uh, we have Bilal Muhammad in the rankings, so let me just take a second to pull up the old North Star Sports uh, web page, web browser, worldwide web uh, yeah, and we have Bilal Muhammad at number 13, so we're pretty high on Muhammad. And you know what? Fuck it. I have the rankings still open from the UFC. Let's see where these uh, absolute knobheads have Muhammad. Oh, they have him at 13. Well, would you look at that? I guess we're in complete agreement with uh, the UFC on Bilal Muhammad. I would have figured they would have had him unranked because they, they, don't, they don't seem to like Bilal Muhammad. I don't know why, but they don't pay this man respect, um, but we do. But, yeah, no, I, I think this is, uh, uh, I don't know what this is. I, a keep busy fight for, for Muhammad? 
I, I, I don't, I don't know, man. Diego Lima's a cool story. I'll give him that. You know, this is a guy. He's the younger brother of Douglas Lima. Uh, he was on the Ultimate Fighter, whatever season they did the Redemption season, uh, and I think he won it. Uh, oh no, he lost to Jesse Taylor in the finals. Um, but you know, he's on a, a three-fight winning streak. Although you know, his last two fights have been split decision victories. Has not fought since UFC 243. That was in October of 2019. Um, yeah, and the split decision wins are against Luke uh, Jumo and uh, Court McGee. So, you know, it's not like he's beating, uh, <laughs> you know, ranked guys. Uh, Bilal Muhammad, you know, just an unfortunate career for this guy in, in the sense that, uh, you know, he's a very good fighter. And he's still, he's still young. He's still 32. But he'll just go on these pretty sizable winning streaks and then just lose it all, you know. So he had a four-fight winning streak going on. And then he lost a unanimous decision to Jeff Neal in January of 2019. And then it's like, I don't know. You, this guy does not have promotional push. You know, where like certain fighter, certain fighters, if they go on a four-fight winning streak, that's a very big deal. But for, for Bilal Muhammad, it's, it's, almost like, it's almost like they're just waiting for him to lose so that they don't have to put him in a big spot. So... Uh, He's currently on a three-fight winning streak over Curtis Millinder, Takashi Sato, and Lyman Good. He, he did run into some trouble against Lyman Good in that fight. Lyman did hurt him uh, several times, although I think it was correct that Bilal Muhammad uh, won that fight. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be a blowout here, but I do really expect Bilal Muhammad to win this one. He's just the better fighter and uh, should get it done here. I guess we'll go by decision because he's not exactly a, not exactly a finisher. All right, we're moving on here. We have finally reached the prelim headliner. It's going to be a middleweight fight between Hadolfo Vieira and Anthony Hernandez. Vieira is 7-0. Hernandez is 7-2. and uh, We'll take a look at the odds here. They will have, if I could ever find them, uh, they'll have Vieira as the minus 400 favorite pretty much across the board. Uh, and I think that's correct. This is they are they are feeding Anthony Hernandez uh, to Hadolfo Vieira. Uh, this fight will not be close. I don't think it'll last very long. Uh, thank God it's not on the main card uh, because I would pick Vieira by submission, uh, just because he's uh, you know a, a very very uh, credentialed guy on the ground. But I always hate picking fights to end by submission just because uh, it's just so rare that fights actually end up by submission compared to, you know, TKO and, and decision. But, you know, with this guy, 86% of, of his fights uh, end by submission. So that's interesting. Now, Hernandez, in fairness, 71% of his fights end via submission as well. So really wouldn't shock me if this goes to the ground. It would severely shock me if Anthony Hernandez won this fight because if it goes to the ground, I just don't see any way that Vieira loses. I mean, again, I'm not... I say it every show, but I'm not a BJJ guy, but I could have swore this this was the guy who was like a multiple-time champion, gold medalist, whatever fucking term they use over in, you know, Abu Dhabi, IBJJF, fucking all that stuff, ADCC, whatever it is, this guy... It was a big deal from what people tell me. So, you know, I, I just don't see him uh, losing this one. Uh, he, he's looked good in, in his two UFC uh, appearances against Oscar Pihota and Saperbeg. Safarov got the choke in both of those fights. And uh, Hernandez, uh, the only reason I know who, who Hernandez is, is uh, he got knocked out in his last fight in 39 seconds by Kevin Holland. So that... Uh, yeah, it didn't really go his way, although Kevin Holland's obviously a very uh, high-end uh, fight for uh, Anthony Hernandez. That was kind of before we realized Kevin Holland is a uh, title challenger. All right, we're going to move on here to the main card opener. It's going to be a middleweight fight between Julian Marquez and Maki Patolo. Marquez is 7-2, Patolo 13-7. and seven. Uh, we'll look at the odds here. They're going to have uh, Julian Marquez as the minus 185 favorite. Um, 
Yeah, this this is an interesting uh, fight. If I could ever pull up my uh, notebook here. Actually, I think I might have got the order incorrect. So the UFC is actually going to have Jim Miller and Bobby Green opening up the uh, the main card. But fuck it, I've already gone down the road of Maki Patolo and Julian Marquez. So, you know what I mean? Too, too bad. Too bad. This In my mind, this is the main card opener. So, you know, fuck, the, fuck what the UFC has to say about this. Um, yeah, a battle between two pretty good nicknames. You know, uh, Julian Marquez the, the, is known as the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, that's that's unique. I like that. I like that. See, I give points for originality. You know, I, how many pit bulls are there in the UFC? I mean, seventy-five. I don't know. I don't know if you know this. This is an official stat uh, from North Star North Star Sports, but. Uh, 75% of UFC fighters, all MMA fighters actually from Brazil, are nicknamed Pitbull. So, you know, they're named after a shitty dog that eats babies. Um, so I, I've never seen the Cuban Missile Crisis before. I like that. And Maki Patolo is known as Coconut Bombs with a Z. So, you know, he's cool. You know, he's hip with it. Um, but I like that. That's that's pretty original. Um yeah, this this really this fight really hinges on whether or not uh, the layoff has affected Marquez. I think, without a doubt, he's the better fighter. I don't think very highly of Maki Patolo, especially after uh, having watched his uh, UFC performances. Uh, you know, that's the problem with signing guys from the Contender Series is a lot of them turn out to be very very good fighters, of course, but some of them turn out to suck. And uh, obviously that's the the fun of the game. You don't really know who's gonna, you know, translate and who's not gonna translate. But you know when you when you end up signing a guy who was uh, uh, 11 and four, uh, you know, I don't know, it didn't didn't really work out for him. But you know, story's not over because he's still in the UFC. But uh, yeah, he's he's lost three of his last four uh, to Callan Potter, you know, a well-known superstar. Uh, Darren Stewart, you know, a very highly ranked number one contender. And, you know, Impa, Impa Kasanganai, the guy who got uh, knocked out in highlight fashion by uh, Joaquin Buckley. So, you know, Patolo's just taking on real top-end talent here and just thriving. Uh, his only win was over 10-6 uh, and six Charles Bird, another contender series guy who never should have been signed to the UFC. So, yeah, by, like I said, this is coming down to whether or not Marquez is healthy. He was really one of the original hype trains from the contender series. Uh, because he was on the um, 2017, the inaugural season. He was on the inaugural season where he had that crazy head kick knockout of Phil Hayes. Uh, only has had two fights since then, and his last fight in July of 2018 was a split decision loss to Alessio Di Chirico. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of crazy because I think Patolo's probably had six fights sends Marquez's last fought, but I'm going to go with Marquez on this one. I, I think he overcomes the, the ring rust and you know, I, I, he's going to knock out Patolo. I think he knocks him out. I don't, I don't think it goes to a decision. I think he will knock him out. All right, moving on to what now I'm being told is the, uh, the main card opener. Uh, it's going to be a old man fight at 155 between Bobby Green and Jim Miller Green 27 11 and 1 Miller 32 15 and 1 no contest uh, the odds are going to have Bobby Green as the minus 300 favorite and I will be riding with Bobby Green now I want to see if I have anything in my notebook for uh, either of these two guys I don't know if they fought since I've started taking notes but we'll find out uh We'll find out. Nothing on Jim Miller. And nothing on Bobby Green. So they have not fought since I started taking notes. Well, that's fine. I got some stuff stored up in the old uh, noggin for these two guys. Um, I like this. I like the matchmaking here. I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, Bobby Green. Uh, I think he's only... I don't think he's as old as, as we think. Uh, okay, he's 34. I would have figured he was a little older. But, uh, you know, I, I like this. I think this is appropriate. You know, you're not putting up Jim Miller against, you know, fucking a young up-and-coming killer. You're not putting him against, you know, Islam Makachev just to get murdered. Uh, you know, I think it'll be... Um, 
a reasonably competitive fight, but we have seen Jim Miller get finished fairly early in some of his fights recently, so I, I don't know. Bobby Green's looked pretty pretty sharp uh, during this little resurgence he's had. I mean, there was a stretch where I think he was 1-5-1 one, one, and one in a seven-fight stretch. And then, you know, he got the win over Guida, Venata, Alan Patrick, and then ended up losing to Thiago Moises uh, in October on Halloween. On uh, on Halloween. So, um, you know, the momentum was halted a little bit for Bobby Green, but his striking has looked really, really top level. Um, and as for Jim Miller, uh, well, he's lost two of his last three. His only win, his only win in that stretch was to Roosevelt Roberts, who he uh, submitted. Now, that was a pretty young prospect there, a little bit too much too soon. But, you know, a loss to Scott Holtzman, a loss to Vince Pichel. He has a lot of high-level losses on, on his record recently. I mean, Poirier, Pettis, Ronaldo, Hooker, Oliveira. I mean, Jesus. But uh, he, he is dangerous. He, he does have a lot of very quick first-round submissions, even in, the, even in the last five years. So I don't, I don't see this fight going the distance. Which is crazy to say, because that's obviously the most likely scenario in any fight. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this fight gets finished in the first round. Either way, either it's a first round submission for Jim Miller, or it's a first round knockout for Bobby Green. And I'm gonna say it's a first round knockout for Bobby Green. All right, we're moving on here to. Uh, the featured bout on the main card, it's a middleweight fight between Kelvin Gastelum and Ian Heinish. Uh, Gastelum is 16-6, and six. Heinish is 14-3. and three. Uh, The rankings are going to factor into this one. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum is at number 8, Ian Heinish at number 13. So a pretty big gap to close here for Heinish should he uh, be victorious. Uh, we'll look at the odds. Uh, they'll have Kelvin Gastelum as the minus 240 favorite, which is fair. But see, this this is probably the trickiest fight for me to pick because Kelvin Gastelum should win. I am a pretty big stan of Ian Heinish. He is a tank. Um, but man, Gastelum's last performance was just so shitty. It's, it's really hard to pick him. Like, man, he just... That fight wasn't even close, and he's on a three-fight losing streak, and I know it was against Adesanya, Till, and Hermanson, but fuck, man. I don't know. It's really hard to pick a guy who has not won since May of 2018. I know he's looked good in, in, in the Adesanya fight, and I know it was a split decision. I'm going to pick Gastelum, but fuck, man. I just don't feel good about it. I really don't feel good about it. Uh, this This is a very, very close fight in my mind. Now, the thing is, what gives me a little comfort in picking Gastelum is knowing that Ian Heinish is a striker. He's basically a boxer, and he's got good power, and he's known for, uh, you know, knocking out some folks. I mean, you know, his, his knockout of uh, Gerald Mearshart was pretty impressive. Um, you know, he, he's knocked out Justin Sumter. You know, a very powerful guy. And we've seen that Gastelum has a fucking insane chin. And Gastelum is not old enough yet to be washed. So I think he probably still has that chin. So I'm not going to say a good chin negates power. Because obviously, you know, the, the power is going to win out over time. Whether it's over time in a fight or over time in a career. But that gives me a little hope in knowing that Gastelum is a tough motherfucker. Um, so that... that Again, doesn't negate, but kind of lessens the, the advantages that Heinish would have. Um, I'm going to say Gastelum get it, gets it done by decision. Wouldn't shock me if he, if he could choke him out, although um, Heinish is a little bit slippery on the ground. I think we saw that in the shoe face fight. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to go Gastelum by decision on this one. But again, I don't feel very good about it. All right, moving on. We have reached the co-main event. It's going to happen in the women's flyweight division between Macy Barber and Alexa Grasso. Barber is 8-1, and one, Grasso 12-3. and three. Uh, We're going to take a look here at the North Star Sports odds. Uh, they will have... 
Alexa Grasso at number 12, Macy Barber at number 10. Uh, the odds are going to have uh, Macy, oh, excuse me, uh, Alexa Grasso as the minus 175 favorite, which I think is fair. Um, big question mark here with Macy Barber is is the layoff. I mean, that's going to be, uh, you know, the, the real big X factor. I mean, from everything that she said, it, it really seems like she has learned a lot from this time off. But, you know, as a young fighter, you know, racking up minutes in the octagon is very, very important. And uh, she hasn't fought in 13 months, eh, maybe a little less than 13 months, I, mean, I guess January. I don't know when in January, but it was that Cerrone and, and Cowboy, uh, or Cerrone and Cowboy, that McGregor, McGregor Cerrone fight, which uh, was a sham. In some people's opinions, I would never say that because I don't want to get in trouble, but some people might say that. Um, crazily enough, I, I am going to go with Macy Barber in this one. Um, you know, I, I might change my opinion because Alexa Grasso is, is a very tough fighter. Now, Barber obviously is ahead in the rankings, but um, I don't know. I, I think Barber is special. She finds a way to get it done. And, uh, you know, Grasso is a good striker. I don't know how good she is on the ground. But, you know, Barbara just, where there's a will, there's a way. Now, I'm, I'm going to throw out the, the Roxanne Mataferi fight in a sense because she tore her ACL. And obviously, you're, you're, you're a little bit compromised when your ACL's torn. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to fight like you normally would with a torn ACL. Um, but, you know, in the Robertson fight, I don't know, man, she just finds a way. You know, it, it, she, she's the master at winning sloppy. And I think at some point, she's not going to win sloppy. You know, I think the sloppiness comes from her being young. But again, like, do you want to do you want to lose beautifully or do you want to win sloppily? And she just, you know, the, the J.J. Aldrich fight, the, the Hannah Cyphers fight. I mean, really all of her fights, it's like people tell me she's really talented and wow, she she doesn't really look very polished, but she gets the win. And it's like, well, I think at some point she's going to get the polish. She might not have it here. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if there was no polish on this fight. But I, I just think she's a she's a dog. She's gonna get it done. She's gonna have to be a little bit more careful uh, about walking opponents down because uh, I don't know if you can do that against Grasso. She's she's a Mexican boxer, so uh, I I don't think it's a capable strategy just to walk her down. But uh, you know, at at the same time, you know she. Now, who did she knock out? She knocked out somebody pretty significant, I, th I believe. Oh, no, I was thinking of Arena Aldana. Never mind. Excuse me. So, I mean, she, she doesn't have a whole lot of power. I mean, two-thirds of her fights go to a decision. And uh, her last win was over Jiyeon Kim, who I don't think very highly of. Um, yeah, actually, you know, looking more at Grasso's record, it's a, it's a little crazy to see that Barber is not the favorite. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I will go Barber. I am going to go by decision. I know Barber finishes fights. Uh, she's very much like Kenny Florian in that respect, but I think Grasso is a tough opponent, and uh, you know it's probably a three-round decision. And you know I, I'm going to specifically call my shot here and say it's, it's a 29-28 Barber over Grasso decision. So how about that for uh, you know being specific? All right, we have reached the main event of the evening. It's going to be for the welterweight championship of the world, and it's going to be between the Nigerian Nigerian nightmare, uh, Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns, whatever the fuck Dorino means. I don't speak Portuguese, so perhaps I could uh, look that up. Uh, Usman's going to be 17-1, and Gilbert Burns 19-3. and uh, I don't have to look at the North Star Sports rankings because I know for a fact that uh, Usman is, is the champ and Burns is the number... Actually, shit, do I know he's the number one guy? Actually, we might have Covington. Yeah, Gilbert Burns is the number two contender. I have I have Colby Covington as the number one guy in the division outside of the champ. So, yeah, the number two, number two guy. I disagree with the UFC on this one. Um, but, yeah, this is going to be a fucking banger of a fight. Uh, let's look at the odds here. They will have Kamaru Usman as the minus 250 favorite, according to Betway. A um, little bit of variance. Some some places have it minus 270. Lowest I can find it is uh, minus 239 at the opening. 
And yeah, this is going to be a fucking amazing fight. Kamaru is just, you know, starting off with some physical stuff here. He's going to be two inches taller. He's going to have a five inch reach advantage. And one of the things that I want to point out here is um, all welterweights are not equal. So yes, they both weighed in at 170, but there's a very big difference between Usman and Burns. Uh, Gilbert Burns, a couple of years ago, was fighting at lightweight. Now, Kamaru Usman, it is physically impossible for him to get down to the lightweight limit. So, we have a lightweight who grew into a body at welterweight versus a welterweight, probably a guy who maybe in the future will fight at middleweight. So, you know, <laughs> it's going to be a very big difference uh, b- between these two fighters and what they weigh. Uh, when they step into that octagon. Now, the only re- well, one of the big reasons I mention this is because uh, I-, I think where you're going to see that size difference really manifest itself is in the clinch game. Uh, that's obviously a very big part of Kamaru's game, and I think that's where he's going to dominate Gilbert Burns. I think, um, well, I'll-, I'll get to that in a minute, but I think specifically in the clinch game, two inches taller, He's going to be a lot bigger, man. He's going to be a lot bigger weight-wise. And, uh, you know, he's been able to do it to, well, not really Covington. That was exclusively kind of a kickboxing match. But, you know, in his other fights, you know, like against Woodley and against Masvidal, man, he, he really can neutralize opponents. I'm not going to say, you know, I will say dominate, but I'm not going to say domination in the sense of damage. But, like, he will dominate and neutralize what his opponent will do in that clinch. He, he is... The, the, the master of the clinch game. I mean, it's it's really impressive what this guy does. That He's probably the best at at, uh, at, at mixing it up and clinching in, in the entirety of the UFC. Now, wh- where I struggle to find a case for Gilbert Burns is I think Kamaru is the better striker. Now, both of these guys striking have improved greatly over the last handful of years. Obviously, they're both ground guys by trade. I mean, Kamaru through college wrestling and Gilbert Burns through BJJ. But, uh, so so their striking has greatly improved. Now, I don't think we think of Kamaru as a great striker, but at what point are we going to consider him a great striker? He outstruck Masvidal. He outstruck Woodley. He outstruck Covington. Like, at what point are we going to say Kamaru's just a good striker? I don't, if anybody says Kamaru's not a good striker, I don't fucking buy it. He is a good striker. And in MMA, he's a great striker. I think, in a sense, he's kind of like Khabib, where his ground game and his clinch game is so dominant that it turns his striking from good to great because his, their, his opponent has to always think about, like, am I going to get taken down? I can't do this. Uh, because I'm going to get taken down. You know, there's a difference between boxing, striking, where takedowns are not allowed, and striking where, you know, clinching and and takedowns are allowed. So it's like, yeah, if Kamaru Usman got into a boxing match with Masvidal, Masvidal probably wins. But when it comes to MMA striking, yeah, Usman's going to win that because it's a, it's a different beast. So I'd give the striking advantage to Usman and... I would probably give the ground advantage to Usman as well, although I think the gap is very, very close, and if you wanted to say Burns is the better fighter on the ground, I wouldn't argue with you, although I wouldn't, I really think it's pretty evenly matched on the ground, if I'm being honest. I don't think anybody would hold a, a, you know, even a slight advantage on the ground. Now, what I will say is Burns, building the case for him here, is going to be the more dangerous guy on the ground. Not that Kamaru is not capable of submissions, he is. But I think Burns is the more dangerous guy on the ground. And he's going to have the power advantage. Now, I'm not trying to make it seem like Gilbert Burns is Francis Ngannou, because he's definitely not. Um, but I think he has above-average power. I'm not going to say... I'm not even going to say Burns has good power. I just think above-average. You know, yeah, you knocked out uh, Damian Maya. Okay, very cool. But, like, so now you're a knockout artist? I mean, not, not really. So... I think he's going to have more power than Usman, but it's, it's again, it's not like he's a fucking knockout artist, okay? And Usman kind of has deceptive power from what his opponents have said, from what Masvidal and Woodley have said. Usman has deceptive power, but I would give it to Burns. But listen, you know, right. 
Usman's very good defensively, whether it's through the clinch or just striking. He doesn't take a lot of damage. So if we're betting that a guy who has slightly above average power is going to knock him out, I I wouldn't bet on that. So I, I just don't know what the game plan for Burns is. Now, I've heard the game plan for Burns could be, you know, hey, try to walk him down, be loosey-goosey with your striking, and if Usman takes you down, then if you're Burns, you're totally cool with that because you're really you're, you're a good fighter on the ground. That's that's fine and dandy, but I don't think I'd want to be off my back against Usman. You know, there, there could be, I guess there could be worse things for Burns considering his pedigree on the ground, but it's just, I don't know if that's a strategy I want to employ. So I guess you just got to hope that, you know, you got to hope that, uh, you know, stay, him being the one that stayed at ATT, um, I don't know, I, I, I guess you just got to hope that, you know, you got really good training, they told you a lot about Usman, and, you know, he, he's the same fighter as he was before, and you can just kind of use that. But I, I, you know, it's MMA, anything can happen, and, you know, fuck me if I'm wrong, and, and Gilbert Burns is our new champ, you know, come Saturday night, but it's just, I don't know, man, I, I really struggle to find a way to, to see that Usman loses this fight, and, you know, if I get if I get freezing cold take for it, then, uh, you know, that, that's what happens, but I, I really, I really think Usman is damn, you know what, fuck it. We're doing two lock of the weeks. Usman is my other lock of the week here. I really, I really feel strongly in Usman. I think he's probably, I think he's probably the most dominant welterweight champion we've ever seen, and and that might be fucking crazy to say because it's a small sample size. But it's like, damn, tell tell me tell me that you know, tell me that Masvidal fight was close. I mean, the Covington fight was very very close. I I get it, but I don't know. He got the finish, so I don't know, man. I'm just a big fan of Kamaru. And I, I just think it's, as John Anik would say, I think it's going to take a Herculean effort for anyone to beat uh, Kamaru Usman. Uh, but I, I am going to go Usman by decision. He is a decision fighter. I don't think he finishes Gilbert Burns. Uh, so I, I do think he wins by decision. All right, with that, we've reached the end of our preview of UFC 258 Usman versus Burns. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN, North Star Sports on Twitter at Northstar M-I-N. Check out our website at northstarsports.media. And thanks for tuning in, everybody.